Are you aware that you're a manager in a management position for all that you do on a daily basis? Do you know some of the primary components that make up a manager? Are you conscious of the fact that you may potentially be molding the future of our profession based on your management model? Find out more on today's podcast. Free is a mobile, real-time injury documentation and reporting platform that allows athletic trainers to create an injury report, update symptoms, and document treatments from any mobile device. With HIPAA and FERPA compliance, it is the only platform to provide injury reporting and CDC concussion education training in the same system. Streamline communications, keep your athletic program in compliance, and minimize your administrative burden. Visit InjureFree.com to schedule a live demo. Proactive is a unique, state-of-the-art performance institute that integrates unparalleled sports performance training with rehabilitative services in a single facility. Their two facilities in Southern California provide a professional, innovative, and friendly training environment that is designed to meet the diversity of performance needs. Proactive's methods have been featured on ESPN, CNN, HBO, Fox Sports, ABC, and in Men's Health Magazine. Visit ProactiveSP.com for more information and get started today. Hello, and thank you for joining us on The Business Advantage. I am Alicia M. Pennington, your host and owner of Advantage Athletic Training. Today, we're going to be discussing management. Before I go any further, I've got to give you a quick disclaimer. I am an athletic trainer who owns a company and is providing this podcast based on information researched and experienced. Please listen from that perspective, knowing that I have no degree or education formally in business. With that, let's get started. Let's start simple by defining what management is. According to dictionary.com, management means to bring about or succeed in accomplishing, sometimes despite difficulty or hardship, to handle, direct, govern, or control in action or use. So let's talk about that a little bit and how that applies to athletic trainers. So many times we are responsible for managing our own space, i.e. the athletic training clinic or um, whatever space it is that we hold, maybe out on the sideline or within the facility that we're working in. Um, A lot of times it is our own schedule. We tell athletes or ADs or um, whoever our patients may be when we're going to be in the athletic training room, where we're at, um, as well our own supplies, you know, managing that inventory, uh, as well as patient outcomes, which has been, you know, more of a, a hot topic of, of late of how do we um, manage and work towards specific patient outcomes in the in the rehabilitation that we're doing um, and obviously those are, are just to name a few um, you know some of us are responsible for managing student athletic trainers or an entire education program if, if you're at the the university level and and you may even just be, uh, a preceptor, maybe you don't have uh, your own program, but you are responsible for the students and the education and the skill development of students from your neighboring university or um, other program. And, you know, I feel like uh, while we've had a class that was dubbed um, management, which uh, we've obviously discussed already in the previous podcast, We've we've learned that you know building hypothetical athletic training rooms is a far cry from the real knowledge that we need as athletic trainers in this management aspect when we are entering the workforce. So starting to dive into this a little bit more deeply, you know, some people approach 
management as a list of skills. So, um, you know, such as being organized or being good at time management. And, you know, while those are important, personally, I see good managers as people with particular uh, personality characteristics and how they use those to interact with people. So while I could do an entire podcast on skills that make you a good manager, I'm going to focus more on specific attributes instead. When thinking about what attributes I felt made a good manager, I kind of reflected on what I appreciated about those who I've had to interact with in a management role. And the the main three that really jumped out to me were empathy, compromise, and fairness. So I'm going to kind of break these down a little bit and let, I mean let's talk about them and and see how really these apply not only to being a manager but being a manager in athletic training. Starting with empathy, this is defined as identifying with the feeling, not to be confused with sympathy, which is agreeing with the feeling. Now, I know personally empathy was talked about frequently in my undergraduate education program, particularly in the aspect of being empathetic with athletes and their injuries, but being empathetic as an athletic trainer, as a manager, is is much different than just empathizing with the athlete who may have just had, um, you know, a season-ending or a career-ending injury. Not in any way to take away from that aspect of empathy, but what we're talking about here, while the same feeling is displayed in a little bit different way, I want you to think about empathy and how it applies to you. So, uh, you know, one area that is often discussed in athletic training is work-life balance and an area where athletic trainers can have more empathy for themselves can be displayed in that work-life scenario. How do we find that balance between wanting to be there for our athletes and understanding their needs, but yet also making ourselves an important aspect of that conversation and having the empathy internally to say, you know, maybe I do need this day off, or maybe I don't need to go in so early, or maybe, you know, I really just need to take care of myself right now. Because, you know, as athletic trainers, we're uh, naturally such caring people but you know what can what can be our uh, strongest strengths are also oftentimes our um, you know biggest weaknesses. So while naturally, yes, we are very empathetic as people, we tend to lack that empathy for ourselves. Uh, and even if you look at it, um, you know, from a, like a confidence perspective of of having a voice and and speaking up about things and. Uh, you know, kind of putting your foot down. Uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to compromise. But that's another area where, um, if you can acknowledge where it is that you need a little bit of empathy, I think that we would be so much better off in that management role and as athletic trainers if we just kind of took care of ourselves every now and then. And then now taking that a step further and. Uh, taking that empathy back external, like we talked about with athletes, but how about we pl- we apply that to our peers, the other people that we share this profession with, and really trusting that the neighboring athletic trainer truly has the best interest of the athletes like you do, and not being so quick to jump to judgments or to cut down the next athletic trainer, but rather using that definition of empathy, putting yourself in their shoes and really trying to understand the decision-making pro- making process 
that they're going through and having trust that the decisions that they are making are in the best interest of their athletes. I really feel like if athletic trainers could work on those two areas of empathy, that it could really go a long way for our profession. And in speaking about working on empathy, you know, this is a feeling that as human beings, we naturally have. It is innate in, in who we are. But the strength and the intensity and our, uh, you know, ability to readily tap into that can become stronger and more readily learned with more experience. So, you know, just like with anything else that we do, uh, if we can retrain those synapses that are firing in our brain so that when we see another athletic trainer doing something that we don't necessarily know about or agree with, instead of automatically having a judgment about that, we can train the brain to think in a more empathetic way. I really feel like we could do a whole lot in supporting each other and learning from each other and trying to advance ourselves as opposed to working against each other and and cutting each other down. So then taking the idea of empathy back to management, why is it important in order to be successful at the idea of management? I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, if you're not driving or walking or uh, in any way harming somebody else, go ahead and close your eyes. Uh, if not, just, just try to, um, you know, stay focused on the road or whatever it is that you're doing. And I want you to imagine being vulnerable. Maybe you're an undergraduate athletic training student. Maybe you're a graduate assistant. Maybe you're in your first job. It could be a number of, you know, whatever works for you. I want you to imagine being vulnerable in an athletic training setting. And I want you to imagine going to that person, whoever it was that you went to in that setting and kind of sharing this moment of vulnerability with them. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you, uh, you know, improperly evaluated something. You didn't uh, evaluate it fully, uh, an improper diagnosis. Um, whatever it is, I want you just to take a moment and think back to when you may have experienced that moment of vulnerability and sharing it with somebody. Now, play in your mind what their response was. Was there empathy in there? Was there a feeling of they understand where I'm coming from? They know what it's like to be here. They have compassion and understanding for what it is that I went through or that I am going through. And now play the reverse scenario in your head. They don't understand where you're coming from. They aren't willing to put themselves in your shoes. They never went through that experience themselves and they can't understand why it is that you made that mistake or that you're feeling this way. What are the two different emotions that you experience in playing out those opposite-ended scenarios? Another example is you know, confiding in an athletic trainer uh, you know, a fellow athletic trainer about what it is that you experienced versus like an athletic director, maybe, who doesn't understand or respect or really even know what it is that you do. And now imagine yourself in their shoes. You're listening to somebody who's sharing this experience with you. And you are now in that management position. You want to express to them it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to make this mistake. It's okay to be here. This is all part of the learning process. And really, what is it that that 
student or that athletic trainer or that younger version of you takes away and learns if all that's happening is they're being condemned or they're being yelled at or they're just being completely misunderstood. There really is no growth process that happens when that is the response. And so being empathetic is important to the growth process, to the understanding and to the learning of what it is that we are going through in life. It doesn't have to be athletic training. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, even professionally driven, but having an empathetic stance and understanding just goes a much longer way in being able to work with others, being able to manage other people, and just in general, being able to get along in the world. And so, uh, you know, empathy is something that is obviously not athletic training specific and obviously not management specific, but really, I think to be a quality manager, to really be, to really feel like you're empowering and impacting those that are underneath you, empathy is going to have a huge stance on that. If you want to watch an awesome TED Talk on empathy, I would highly recommend Jeremy Rifkins. That's R-I-F-K-I-N. Um, the title of it is On the Empathetic Civilization. It's uh, a pretty quick, you know, in, in TED Talk TED Talk terms. It's only 10 minutes, um, but it's so informative. Uh, It talks about kind of the evolution of empathy and how humans um, use empathy and and how it is that we are empathetic. It's it's really, really informative. Um, And it has like those cartoons that are drawn all over it for kind of like that visualization stimulus. So um, I would really, really recommend it. It's like I said, it's a quick one and uh, it's kind of fun to watch. So that was Jeremy Rifkin on the empathetic civilization. Moving on now to the second attribute, compromise. It is defined as settling the differences, coming to a mutual understanding. You know, I I feel that all great relationships hinge on compromise. I think that the main reason why some relationships work and others don't, and I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I mean, um, you know, bosses and employees or uh, friendships or romantic relationships, uh, whatever it is, I think a lot of it has to do with what each party is willing to compromise. Um, and, and that also includes the relationship with yourself. Uh, what is it that you are willing to give up in order to get what you want? We see this a lot in fitness and in working out. Um, you know, are you willing to give up the poor diet in order to attain the body that, that you're striving for? Um, but specific to athletic training, I really wonder to myself, how much are athletic trainers being too compromising and how much are we compromising ourselves and our profession in order to try what we think are settling the differences or coming to a mutual understanding, but is the other side really meeting us halfway? A great example of this are the articles that have come out as of late about athletic trainers who are being pressured to clear athletes early or to overlook an injury or to, um, you know, not give uh, a potential injury the proper time and, and energy that it needs. Uh, and this is, this is what makes me sad. This is what makes me feel like the respect is not there and that athletic trainers are being asked to compromise their ethics and their morals and values, and in some cases, their certification or license, when 
compromise is supposed to be about each side finding a mutual ground. Both parties are supposed to get something out of what they want, but neither party should get everything that they want, which oftentimes is what ends up happening. The coach or whoever it is that's pushing for that athlete to come back too early ends up getting what they want. And we're left with this feeling inside of that didn't, that didn't feel good. That didn't feel right. And I've just put myself in a really compromising position by doing that. As a manager and in a management role, it's important to understand compromise in, in how you can help the other person obtain what it is that they're looking to achieve while also not giving up too much on your side. So imagine a conversation with a student athletic trainer. Maybe they want a day off. Maybe they need to leave early. Maybe, um, you know, there's a number of different situations, but what is it that they could do for you that then them having the day off or them leaving early wouldn't put you in a sticky situation? So let's say, you know, they need to leave two hours early and you say, okay, well then I need you to get all of the bottles and the coolers cleaned. And I need you to make sure that the um, taping shelves are restocked before you leave. If you can get that done, you can leave two hours early. That way you're not left at the end of the day with doing all of these tasks that would have otherwise been completed in that two hours that the student would have been there, but yet they're also being able to have that time off early. So there, th- that's an example of each side finding mutual ground that is equally beneficial so that neither one of them is getting everything that they want, but then there's also compromise that's found in the middle of it. There's a really great example of this in the book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. If you've never read this book, I would really recommend it. I think it's one of those life books that uh, you know you read when you're 20 and then you pick it up again when you're 35 and then you read it again when you're 42 or whatever it is. Um, but they're just lessons and um, theories that can continue to be applied throughout your entire life. And they're really valuable. Uh, The way that he puts things um, really just are are easily applied and make you think about how to approach different situations. So uh, habit number four is what he has dubbed the win-win principle. And uh, the idea of the win-win principle is much of what we're talking about in compromise of, you know, kind of each side having a a winning um, perspective at the end of it. So here's an excerpt from the chapter. Most of us learn to base our self-worth on comparisons and competition. We think about succeeding in terms of someone else failing. That is, if I win you lose. Or if you win, I lose. Many people think in terms of either or, either you're nice or you're tough. Win-win requires that you be both. It is a balancing act between courage and consideration. To go for win-win, you not only have to be empathetic, but you also have to be confident. You not only have to be considerate and sensitive, you also have to be brave. To do that, to achieve that balance between courage and consideration is the essence of real maturity and is a fundamental to win-win. So when we talk about compromise and you take a look at what he just said, finding that balance between courage and consideration Think back to what we just talked about with empathy, having the courage to stand up for yourself, to have a voice, to, um, you know, 
stand up for the profession and the decisions that you're making, but yet to be considerate and empathetic of the position that the other person is standing in. And really, you know, that empathy and compromise start to go one in one with each other. And now there are times when compromise is just not appropriate. Uh, Three specifically. So one, when ethics are in question, sort of what we just spoke about in those articles that have come out as of late, the general welfare of both parties that are involved should not be endangered by the decision to compromise. I feel like this has to be a line drawn in the sand with athletic trainers and really use this uh, what we're saying here, the next time that you're in this situation, that if the welfare of that athlete is going to be compromised by coming to a compromise, then it should not even be part of the discussion. The second one is when your values are at risk. So if it is unrealistic to satisfy both parties, then compromise should not be an option. Going back to what we were talking about with the student, the student athletic trainer and yourself, if they're asking to leave two hours early, but that two hours is during a game and you really need that assistance, then it doesn't matter how many tasks they do before they leave, you're still going to be left shorthanded at that game, in which case, I'm sorry, no, you can't leave two hours early. Just is not an option. And number three, when your thoughts are not valued. So both parties that are involved should have equal merit and importance. I feel like this is a lot of what happens in those articles that we've read about the value of athletic trainers, their input, the decisions that they make are not of equal merit or importance as the game that's going to be played or the opinion of the athletic director or whoever it may be. So those three examples are absolutely times when you should really think to yourself, is it worth getting into a compromising situation here? So in a management role, It is important to see the power of compromise, especially if you're the person who someone is coming to to find that compromise, but also how to leverage those different components so that it ends up being a win-win situation. And with all of that, also being cognizant of when compromise is inappropriate and how it is important to protect yourself as a professional when that is the case. Moving on now to fairness, which is defined as free from bias, dishonesty, or injustice. I want to make a point here of distinguishing the difference between being fair and being equal because they are very different. So fairness is more about treating somebody or acting in a way that is comparable to what it is that the other person is doing or bringing to the table. Whereas equality is more more about every single person being treated the same. So uh, an example for an athletic trainer, imagine you have two different athletes with a similar injury. Let's call it a hamstring strain. One athlete is diligent about coming in to do their rehab, do their treatment, is very um, obedient with the rules and the restrictions that you've placed on them. Then you have the other athlete who comes when it's convenient for them. Uh, They don't always stay to do treatment after rehab. They're kind of pushing the limits when they're outside of your athletic training clinic. And so when it comes to your willingness to release one of those two athletes back back to play, 
which one are you more likely to favor? And let's let's say, um, you know, in terms of their readiness, they're about equal. But the coach is saying, hey, I just need one of them. Just give me one of them. If you were approaching it from an equality standpoint, you would say, well, you know, they're both uh, at the same place of readiness, so you can have both of them. But if you approach it from a fairness standpoint, you look at it more as, well, athlete A has been really diligent about coming in and doing exactly what it is that I ask. Whereas athlete B has been a little bit more stubborn, has pushed the limits. And so when we talk about it from a management standpoint, treating people with fairness is a much better approach than to equality. Also with athletic training students, if one athlete, or I'm sorry, if one athletic training student is always there on time, always works hard, always is asking how they can get better, how they can help you, wouldn't you be more likely to let them off two hours early or give them a day off than the athletic training student who is continually tardy. You always have to ask them to be doing a task, kind of just seems lazy in their education and their willingness. Again, from a fairness perspective, that first athletic training student is earning that right to leave early, is showing the necessary work ethic to deserve a day off. Whereas the other athletic training student, you would probably feel less inclined to want to give it to them because they haven't necessarily earned it. And so in creating policies or um, just a management type, approaching things from a fairness perspective is going to go a lot further in how you can discipline, but then also in how you can get those who are underneath you to respond if you have a policy of fairness as opposed to equality. The fairness should be based on merit and the level of work, what we've just talked about in those last two examples, and the rewards and or consequences for um, that policy that you create should be consistent and reasonable based on the rules and the procedures that you create. So in having a policy of how you're going to, uh, you know, create consequences, let's say it's, um, you know, after three times of being tardy to uh, rehab or to treatment um, or for your athletic training students, if you oversee them, then you're going to have a specific consequence. Well, you have to be um, very consistent in that, even if it's that one athletic training student who is always on time and they just happen to end up tardy one time, you still have to be consistent in enforcing that. And that's um, where the, you know, kind of where the fairness comes from. You also have to be, you know, upfront and with those expectations and then again, consistent and following through in the discipline of that. There was an interesting study done by the Harvard Business Review back in June of 2011, and um, what they did was they reached out to hundreds of corporate decision makers and employees asking, should leaders, and you know, listen, leaders as you know, management or uh, those people that oversee them, should leaders be loved or feared? a question that uh, is is oftentimes brought up in the business world and and, uh, in terms of how to climb the quote-unquote corporate ladder. Um, But then they even took it a step further by asking, can you have respect and power? Which is um, you know, a much different question than can should leaders be loved or feared. Um, you know, respect and power again are more characteristics here that we're talking about, as opposed to um, loved or feared is more something that is an approach from the lower end person. Having the respect and power is kind of more of that characteristic. So they found that. Decisions about high-level promotions most often center on perceptions of power 
and not fairness. And though this is an interesting find because organizations would actually benefit more from having leaders that behaved fairly, as we've just discussed, but studies show that the success of change initiatives depends largely on that fair implementation. So you would think that those who are in the higher ranks and wanting to promote those um, you know, kind of within their system, that they would want to look at managers and leaders who have a more fair model of approach because that's really what is more effective in implementing change. But the study found that those high-ranked leaders actually favor people who have more of a, a, an emphasis of power as opposed to fairness. So the research showed that managers see respect and power as mutually exclusive, meaning you can't have respect and power, which I beg to differ, but we'll get there. And so um, as a result of that, many of them choose the latter, power as opposed to respect. Now, though they're... um, research initially showed this, they actually had follow-up research that showed managers who display respect can earn power. And I would, I would definitely agree with that. And personally, I feel like that's kind of taking the higher path. I don't necessarily think that just being powerful and maybe, um, condemning and, uh, difficult to work with is necessarily um, characteristic traits that I would want in someone who was managing me or that I would want in one of my managers who is overseeing some of my athletic trainers. So I definitely feel that um, you know having more of the respect and the fairness may, while it may take you a little bit longer to climb the ranks, I think that once you get there, you have a longer term potential of staying in a management type position if you're approaching things from that fairness and respectful place as opposed to just being uh, kind of powerful and maybe even chauvinistic. Um, But I kind of want to take that a step further and look at that dynamic between fair versus powerful in that management role and, um, you know, how that plays a difference. So a 2013 Forbes article looked at employee engagement, and I want you to hear employee engagement and think of student athletic trainer engagement. So you may not oversee uh, athletic training students in your current role, um, but think about it more as, as as I talk through this, um, maybe yourself as a student athletic trainer or what you would do if you had athletic training students. So uh, the author of the article stated, quote unquote, widespread lack of engagement is a costly, substantive problem. So think about that for a moment. Think about how you manage your athletic training students, or maybe how you were managed as an athletic training student. Do you feel like you responded better to the athletic trainer who was fair or who was powerful? And even thinking a little bit more, do you consider yourself fair or do you take more of that powerful approach. And thinking back what he just said, widespread lack of engagement is a costly, substantive problem. Understanding that from a lack of engagement of athletic training students and what that would cost and what kind of problem that would substantiate in our profession and moving forward in terms of retaining those athletic trainers and getting them into um, higher level positions. So the author would continue on to say, if significant numbers of fair, 
i.e. respected and well-liked managers are are routinely losing out to powerful managers, i.e. less fair, controlling, maybe less well-liked, what does that say about the implications for how productively employees, student athletic trainers, will work in a potentially less fair environment? So let's break that down. If those managers who are less fair, maybe more controlling, less well-liked, more of that powerful, are the ones who are being promoted through the ranks, how then do we expect our athletic training students to respond? And how will they work in those types of environments that don't necessarily promote fairness or a less controlling environment? And what behaviors will our students model and take into their practice once they become certified athletic trainers? It's something that we have to think about when we're in that management position. How are we molding those who are underneath us? How are our behaviors reflecting into them? What are we teaching them about how we want them to act and how we want them to conduct their own practice once they get into a management role? If we aren't being fair, if we aren't being respectful, some things to consider. And again, um, as one last example over this kind of controversy of fairness versus equality, I wanted to discuss the CEO of Gravity Payments, who earlier this year decided to pay all of his employees, including himself, a $70,000 salary. Now, at first, he was heralded in the media as a hero, but things quickly changed. A Huffington Post article cited that some clients were abandoning his company over fear of a price hike in order to make up for this raise in salaries. And then also some seasoned employees quit over outrage of being compensated equally and not fairly. And some people were just flat out calling his decision naive with his own brother actually suing him. So while this is an example of um, equality and not fairness, it's clear that it's not necessarily the most popular opinion when it comes to management. I would definitely recommend having a policy and a structure that is based more on Um, rewarding people if it's bonuses or time off or uh, just being more lenient with them in general, based more on what it is that they display in terms of work ethic and um, their, you know, willingness and ability to learn and, and progress themselves forward, as opposed to just this kind of equal statement of, Everybody's going to get paid the same thing. Everybody's going to get, you know, X amount of time off or everybody's going to have this policy applied to them and, and really trying to look more at yourself as a manager of what are the behaviors and the characteristics that we want to reward, that we want to give that positive influence back to and in a way tell them, this is the behavior. This is how we want you to act. This is what we want you to continue to portray. Looking back at these three primary characteristics, we start to see that they're very much intertwined. When you're empathetic, you're more willing to compromise, which in turns makes you a more fair person. Or when you're fair in your evaluation, you've likely exercised empathy and can come to a compromise as a result of it. Or lastly, when you're willing to compromise, you have an empathetic stance and typically evaluate things from a more fair perspective.
Proactive is a unique, state-of-the-art performance institute that integrates unparalleled sports performance training with rehabilitative services in a single facility. Their two facilities in Southern California provide a professional, innovative, and friendly training environment that is designed to meet the diversity of performance needs. Proactive's methods have been featured on ESPN, CNN, HBO, Fox Sports, ABC, and in Men's Health Magazine. Visit ProactiveSP.com for more information and get started today. What then are the benefits of being a good manager and why are we even talking about management? Well, I believe that an understanding of self, including the roles we play, is vital to becoming a better person. If you weren't previously aware of your position as a manager, imagine the new perspective you now have in your approach to various situations. Or if you were already aware of the management position you carry, perhaps you hadn't considered it from these angles. I want to take us back to our admin book um, on page 15 of my edition, which is edition three. Um, they have some, some tips on improving managerial effectiveness. Um, so I have eight here that I want to read to you um, and then just kind of relate it back to what we've been talking about today. So number one, be courteous and respectful. I see this as exercising your empathy for the other person's situation and recognize where compromise can be made in order to better the situation. Number two, radiate confidence. Here, you know, strive to achieve that work-life balance and standing up for yourself. This radiate confidence is all about having that empathy for yourself and finding those ways to make yourself happy in what you're doing. Number three, use simple language. Again, an area of, of empathy. Using language that is above your audience's head, that includes student athletic trainers, athletes, parents, coaches, whoever it is that you're interacting with on a daily basis. Speaking above their head really doesn't make you look smart. If anything, it devalues your role as a manager. So Exercise that empathy and understanding. Put yourself in their shoes, trying to see what it is that they understand, what they know, and speak to them from that place. You'll earn a lot more respect that way. Number four, make reasonable requests. Here, be fair in compromising about what it is that you are asking from others, but then also make reasonable requests of what you're asking of yourself. Again, that area of when is it not okay to compromise and when are you being asked to compromise too much? Number five, provide rationale. I think that this is most important in displaying fairness, but also, again, when asking for a compromise or negotiating terms, make sure that there is rationale provided both for yourself and what you're asking for, but also make sure that whoever is asking for that compromise, that they're providing rationale for why it is that they're asking for it. Number six, use the chain of command. Just as you'd like to be respected as the medical authority over a coach or another individual, make sure that you're displaying that same respect when you're making requests and be sure to utilize the proper chain of command when you're going through that. Number seven, use authority regularly. So here, like we saw in the study from the Harvard Business Journal, balancing respect and power is a fine line. So don't forget to flex your power in order to gain respect and understanding that you are in a management position and use that authority as you see fit. And then number eight, be open-minded. Here, take all three of those characteristics, exercise your empathy, compromise, and fairness in, in an attempt to be open-minded about all situations that are brought to you. Maybe you are aware that you were a manager before listening to this, and maybe you didn't. 
But now you have a choice. Take some time to determine what kind of manager you want to be. The impact that that has on those who you manage and the potential impact it has on your advancement in the profession. My takeaway here is that I want you to understand that you are a manager. Remind yourself of the components that make up your management skills, empathy, compromise, and fairness, and how to increase the effectiveness of those skills as you go through your daily managerial tasks. Take a few moments to determine how you can take steps today to change how you will manage yourself, your space, and others tomorrow. The more we are able to grasp all the ways that athletic trainers make a difference in their setting, the more valuable we will become. Because we are such an empathetic type, it requires education and sometimes pointing out the obvious in order for us to understand and see all that we contribute. My hopes are that by hearing this today, you've gained a new understanding of your position and will carry that with confidence into your next day. No one is going to acknowledge what we do if we don't do it ourselves. In order to move our profession forward, to gain the recognition that we want, we have a responsibility. You are now aware of your management role, so own it. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or want to follow up with us, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the advantage. If you have request if you have questions regarding what we've spoken about here or you want to give us some feedback or comments, use the hashtag Q and AT. That's the letter Q A N D A T. Once again, I want to thank Mr. Logistics who created the sounds that you've heard throughout. Thank you for listening and our next podcast we will be discussing travel. 